Uh, amen, too. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it very much. Appreciate your prayers while we were gone. We had a good time, but not what I was hoping for. Well, we were hoping to get some rest and just have some time to relax and read. And When you combine vacation and family together, it doesn't work. Everybody wants to see you. Everybody wants you to come over there and all that sort of thing. So we were just on the run, it seemed like, the whole time. But it was fun. Just didn't get any rest and real relaxation. So I uh, appreciate that. Um, boy, ranks are mighty thin this morning, aren't they? <laughs> it's about as low. It is the lowest we've been since I've been here. And uh, of course, I know we got a lot. I know the folks that are the ones I know of that are gone. Why they're not here? I, I got two of my kids are working, and my wife didn't. She didn't have a good night last night. She didn't even fall asleep. She said until about four o'clock, and part of that was grandkids, and so it was just a rough night for her. So she's she just she was up this morning, but she said, "I just don't think I can make it." <laughs> she, and and she said that with two grandkids sitting in her lap <laughs> at about seven thirty or eight. I don't remember what time it was. So anyway, she's just didn't beside herself there and trying to. Trying to keep her head above the water and so forth. Um, for those of you that were have been coming to the Bible study on Wednesday night, um, Ron Biggers had a heart attack on uh, the Tuesday evening before we left. And he called me the next morning. I didn't know about it till then, about an hour before we were supposed to leave, and told me about it. And, at that point in time, they had said they didn't look like there was any serious damage. But then, I guess it was later that afternoon, he told me he was going to be, or maybe it was the next morning, he said he was going to be having four-way sur bypass surgery. So it turned out to be, after they got all the tests done, it turned out to be a lot worse than he thought it was, and they thought it was. So he got through all that, got discharged from Park Ridge. He's now over at Siskin going through rehab. And uh, I think he's doing, well, actually he's doing real well. He had um, been anticipating getting out of the hospital for about an hour. He needed to run home and get some stuff. And he had called me wanting to know if I knew of anybody that had CPR training that could make the trip with him. And I said, well, we got three nurses here in our family. I think we could find one, and one's been trained as an EMT. That's four. I think we can find somebody. But when the time came, the doctors all said he's, he was doing so well, they just let him go on his own. So he's feeling really good about that and should be getting out, I think, you know, sometime really soon. So I know he'd appreciate your prayers for continued recovery, even as well as he's doing. Yeah, we will be gone uh, that week with Bob and Mary, John and Joy and Sarah. And we will come back on that Saturday. At least that's the present plan. And I plan to be here, but I'm going to have Brother Larry Henderson preach that, that Sunday. That's November the 2nd. So he'll be... Did we get an extra hour of sleep that Sunday? Oh, that's right, because they pushed that thing back another week, didn't they? So we got an extra extra week plus an extra an hour from what they we had been having in years past with the time change. All right, then uh, don't forget and keep in mind that there will be a 
Bible Conference at Tracy Daniels Church. That's Faith Baptist Church up on Highway 58. Anybody know where that, not know where that's at? Never been there? Okay. Everybody knows how to get to it. It's just on North Hickory Valley, so it's not really hard to find. About a half mile down the road. And uh, he's having Carl Natrum from Barbados as the main speaker. And Carl uh, was introduced to the kingdom by Ken Guth, giving him a book. And he just grabbed a hold of it very fast and really has become very proficient and understanding. And so when he met Tracy, they just kind of, they clicked and hit it off really good. So uh, there, he invited him up to speak in this conference. Well, the conference has grown. Once people found out about it, one person says, I'm coming. Another says, I'm coming. And so uh, there's going to be quite a group there uh, to, to participate and or speak. Um, I, at this point, I'll be speaking one time. Um, I don't know when yet, but at some point during the conference. So anyway, keep that on your calendar. That starts that Sunday, November 2nd through Wednesday on the 5th. So um, that ought to be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to meeting Carl Natrum. I guess that's all the announcements or anything I needed to talk about or say. Oh, one thing I'll say. How many are familiar with D.M. Panton? D.M. Larry is, and Bob and Mary are. And then you may be familiar that he was the editor of Dawn Magazine. You knew that, right? Dawn? Oh, okay. Well, he was. <laughs> he, wrote, he wrote the book. Uh, on the judgment seat of Christ, the little pink one. Have you seen that? Uh, Shuttle, Lewis Shuttle republished that, and he used a pink cover. It's uh, why I guess the ink was cheap or something, you know. But uh, he also edited a magazine called the Dawn Magazine, and that then was bound into 35 volumes, and they have a lot of good things in them. Very, very hard to find. About six or eight years ago, I saw the last volume on the Internet that was for sale. I haven't seen one since then. And that was only like sporadic, like one or two volumes. I've never seen anything like a series available. But I'm just telling you this to say that on the way to Indiana, as we stopped at a Christian bookstore in Corbin, Kentucky... I walked in, and it was a bookstore of brand-new books. I mean, it was just your ordinary bookstore, but it was big. And I wasn't really excited about that, you know, so I'm just browsing around. And I come up on this shelf that had these used sets of books, and there I found the first 15 volumes of that set. I was scared to death to look at the price, because I thought it's going to be a killer. turned out they only wanted $200. And I just thought, I just went like this, oh, brother, I'm going, I have to buy them at that price. I said, no way I was going to let them out. And I called Lewis Shuttle told him, and he says, if you don't buy them, he says, I'll come up there today and pick them up. <laughs> so, but I wasn't about to do that. Well, he's talked about it, but I'm going to tell you something. He's talked about republishing it and selling them for like $2,500 for the set. And I said, nah, I, I'm going to do, I wouldn't do that. But that was an excellent buy. That was my highlight, trust me. 
everything from the, uh, about the trip from that point on, I just kept telling them, now, don't forget, we got to stop and get the books. Don't forget, we got to stop and get the books. <laughs> I wasn't about, I hadn't, and they said, well, they'll be there when you get back. I said, let's just pull them off the shelf and put them in a box, okay? So they did. I wanted to make sure they were there when I got back. So they held them for me, and I picked them up on the way back. And our car was so full, we couldn't take them. See, so we had to sit them in the back seat between uh, each other so that there's four of us in the car so that we could have room to do it. So anyway, I don't suppose anybody appreciated that as much as I did <laughs> or Lewis. When I told him, I knew he wanted them really bad, but I wasn't about to give them up to him and you might pray for him also. Now he's going to be facing a court date. He was here in town the other day, had brought several boxes of books that he was going to mail I was about ready to turn into the post office and turned in front of a guy on a motorcycle. And he hit, hit him on the, I don't remember which side now, but anyway, the guy dislocated his shoulder and whatever. And so he's going to have to appear in court now on sometime coming up in a couple of weeks, I guess. So if you don't mind, please remember that date or that time. I don't know when it is. I'll find out the date before too long <clears throat> when that is. Okay. This morning, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a very familiar passage, I would suppose, to most of us. But um, as most familiar passages are, they bear touching upon from time to time and repeating. A repeat is um, a biblical method for teaching. And I, I like the scriptures and oftentimes they'll say the same thing in a different way or they'll use the same word in another passage that will uh, lend a clue to an interpretation of that passage or a verse or a word. And they can just, you know, it's just like one of those things, just one thing leads to another. You, you start looking up word studies and meanings and then that leads to another one and then that leads to another one. And before you know it, whew, and the time just flies by. But I enjoy that. That's, that's, that's part of the joy of studying the scriptures. Well, today I want us to begin with verse 23. Verse 23, and we'll read down through chapter 10 and verse, uh, I think it was verse 12, verse 12, 13. All right, let's read. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. <clears throat> know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or disapproved or rejected. And of course, in the context there, cast away from what? Rejected from what? Disapproved from what? The crown, which is the prize. So in verse chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, or four, four brethren, 
I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And you need to focus on that word all and this repetition. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Messiah. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, As it is written, that people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer, the destroyer, excuse me. Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now, in this passage, in the beginning of the passage, back in chapter 9, Paul's been uh, dealing with the gospel. And if we look back at the meaning of, of the word gospel, which is good news or glad tidings, and if we consider what the content of that gospel is, and we trace that all the way back to the Gospels themselves, then we find that this message contained in this Gospel had to do with the coming of the kingdom, the Messianic kingdom. And then, following upon the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ and his death and then his burial and then his resurrection. And the fact that he was seen above or over more than 500 brethren at one time becomes very significant because it becomes part and parcel of the gospel message. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. It will say things like he preached the word and Jesus unto them. And he, or he preached the resurrection. And so, connected with this gospel message is the fact of the resurrection. The very thing Paul says he was being uh, persecuted for by his own brethren. The fact that he held to the hope of the resurrection the very thing that we hold hope in. That one day we will be participants in that great 
as the word literally says it, standing up. The resurrection. And of course, the picture is very obvious there. In a grave, you're laying down. And to be raised from the dead, you're going to stand up. And Paul here, in talking about this gospel, has all of that in mind. He was a great proclaimer of that very gospel message. And so when we look to the things that he's about to talk to us about, we need to keep in mind the content of that gospel. And not only that, but in writing to the Christians at Corinth, he said that I might be partaker thereof with you. A partaker with you. And you notice those words, that I might be. It was not a guaranteed thing that they would partake in this future benefit of the gospel that he's speaking of here. And a a part of the purpose for which Paul was writing to the church at Corinth was that they might observe this gospel message that Paul proclaimed to them in order that they might share in the benefits of that gospel with Paul. Now, this word partaker is translated in other places, a partner. It means to share in something with. Let's look back for a moment at Luke chapter 5. And there's an interesting passage there that I think highlights and brings this out, makes it a little bit clearer to us. Because there are a couple of words that are translated partner and or, or share in. Or to have fellowship with. In Luke chapter 5, in verse 7, remember here in this passage, um, they had been sent out in two ships, the disciples. They were out fishing. And Jesus, it says, entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, in verse 3, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Remember, there's two ships out there now, boats. The one in which Jesus was in was with Simon. After he was finished speaking with the people, he said, Okay, now let's just head out a little bit deeper and want you to let down your net and you're going to catch some fish. And so in verse 5, he says, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships 
so that they began to sink. I'll tell you, that's a load of fish. The word partners here is not the same word for partners that we find back in 1 Corinthians 9.23. And it would appear that in this passage, he's talking about partners who were basically in business together. He he invited them and, and they were associated with one another to the point that when they could not haul all the fish in, They were partners in the sense that they invited them to come and share in the great catch. Because there was just simply too many for Peter and and his crowd in his boat. Now in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, say, or knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And this word partners is, koin, the, the root word is koinonia, or here it's koin, uh, koinonas. It means companions. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And so one of the things that we see from this passage is that it is a discipleship passage. They forsook all to follow him. And because of this great demonstration, this miracle that he did, they determined that they would forsake everything in order to follow this one who could load their ships down with more than they could handle. Now, back here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this word partaker is the same word in verse 10, koinononos, to be companions with, to be sharers with to have a full participation in something with someone else. And in Luke 5, Peter and James and, and, and Simon, Peter, uh, excuse me, James and John and, and Simon, Peter, they all had partnership together. They all shared in a common blessing of these fish. Evidently, they were all in the same ship, in the same boat. Whereas the others who were in the other boat, were invited to partner with them in the bringing up of this great amount of fish because the net just couldn't hold them all. It broke. And they didn't lose the fish because it says the ships began to sink. I mean, that's just a whale of a lot of fish. No pun intended. (laughs) Okay. 1 Corinthians 9 now. This gospel that Paul's proclaiming is one in which he desired the Corinthians to participate in, to share in this gospel. Now, beginning in verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. Now, you need to be careful to link that word all 
with the alls in chapter 10 and verses 1 through 4. Because the example or the type which Paul has given us of those in the wilderness, the the Israelites in the wilderness, is presented to us as a picture of what it would be for the Corinthian church. And of course then for you and I as well. All are in the race. All who have received this gospel that Paul proclaimed are in the race. But, don't you know what Paul says, but one receiveth the prize? And it sounds like if you were just looking at this in the normal sense, you would think, well, Paul's saying that out of all the Christians that are running for the prize, one of them is going to get it. And we'd all sit down immediately and say, well, if that's going to be one person, we'd probably say, well, Paul got it. There's no point in me running anymore. But if you look at the next sentence, Paul says, so run that ye may obtain. And you know one of the benefits of the King James English is a distinction between the singular you and the plural ye. And here, Paul makes it very clear. He's saying, all of you run so that you might obtain the prize. That is to say, the prize is open and available to all. All who receive this gospel concerning the kingdom can receive this prize. And in verse 25, he even tells us what the prize is. He says, every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it. And boy, Paul immediately makes a comparison. When he says every man, he's talking about all men in general. All men that strive to master something, whatever it may be, in this context is to win a race so that they can obtain the prize. But whatever we're trying to master, he's simply saying here, we are temperate. That is, we discipline ourselves. We control ourselves for the purpose of mastering whatever it is we are seeking. And in this passage, it's to win the race. It is to obtain the prize. And so Paul's encouraging these Corinthians and you and I as well, that when we strive to win this prize, that we might be temperate or disciplined, self-disciplined as we go about seeking that prize. In other words, as I've said so often before, and I repeat to you once again, is that it is one thing to know the doctrine. It's another thing to live it out in practice and be a follower and a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what Paul's talking about here. Now, when he says they do it, when he is talking about all men, he's talking about those who are seeking the mastery over something. He says they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. As we said in this particular case, 
It's a race. It's athletics. And they did it for the purpose of winning a crown. As we know, I'm sure you know, that in the Corinthian games, which Paul is alluding to here, that this crown was a crown of uh, a wreath of branches, which would not last very long. It would wither. Paul says here it's corruptible. It won't last. But he says, we do it to obtain an incorruptible. Of course, in the context, the thought continues on. We do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. One that Peter says in 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 4, we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It's been set aside. It awaits. And I'm convinced that the prize to be won is there for us. It is only to be lost if we fail along the way. If we do, as Paul warns in chapter 10, and we're going to look at this, those in the wilderness fell by the wayside. They were overthrown. And if we are overthrown along the way, then we'll fail to attain to the prize. And so consequently, as a result of that, in verse 26, Paul says, I therefore so run. I there is, I run the race. In this particular manner, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Now, that's a tall order. And sometimes I wonder if I'm doing that. As much as I like to eat, I can't really, I I just wonder sometimes, am I really bringing my body into subjection in the manner in which Paul is speaking of here? And of course, there are many other ways that we could bring our bodies into subjection, that we could train ourselves to be fit runners for the race and to prepare ourselves to not only run the race to finish it, as Paul said, he, he was every bit likely to do, but he could still lose the prize because he didn't run lawfully. And so not only do we run fit and disciplined and trained so that we might complete the race, but we also do so within the rules, lawfully, according to the dictates that the Lord has set down for us. And you know, all of those dictates that the Lord has set down for us, for the most part, for the practical part, very little is an outward observable thing in the sense of a a rite or a ritual that we can observe. Basically, there are two. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Most of the things that he expects of us and requires of us to do chiefly among all above everyone is love love for the brethren love for one another but then there are a host of others 
you know, lie not one to another. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace. That doesn't leave any room for flying off the handle, does it? Be ye angry and sin not. And many other such things. I mean, we could just list probably 30 or 40 or 50 things that are given to us in the New Testament of things that should be defining things for our character and our spiritual development if we are to successfully run the race, if we are to become what we are expected to become so that we might receive the well done, now good and faithful servant, so that we might be fit servants to wear a crown. The Lord is not going to crown any unfit servants. It just won't happen. And so the common teaching that's going today that we're all saved, we're, under, we're, we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're all, when we die, we're going to go to heaven, and then we're going to come back and rule with Jesus for a thousand years. Just doesn't fit the scriptures at all. Now Paul's warning here to us, he tells us, even me, when I have preached to others, he says that I myself should be rejected or disapproved. And so there was every bit at this point in Paul's life that he felt there was still the possibility I could be disapproved and rejected for this crown from getting this prize. Now, beginning in chapter 10, then he lays forth for us a, an example that he calls a type a picture, an exact word picture to describe for us the kinds of things that will hinder and prevent us from obtaining the crown and achieving the prize. Now, a couple of things that I just want us to focus on this morning. There's no way we're going to hit the entire passage in the sense of doing a full exposition of it at all because I know we've been through it many times. But the things I want to hit upon are this, and that was in verse 4, about the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, or that rock was Messiah. And the fact that all, he says, were under the cloud, all passed under the sea. That is, under the cloud, they were all led by the cloud. They were all passed through the sea and baptized unto Moses. They all did eat the same spiritual meat. So he's not talking about physical food here. But it was the provision of the promise that was given to them when they reached the other side. And he said they drank of that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that was followed them, and that was Christ, the Messiah. Now... Look what happens then. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. And actually, you know, it was the greater part, really. Did it not end up being all but two that perished in the wilderness because of their refusal to enter into the land of promise? And so because of that, God was not well pleased. They would not hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's the opposite. He was not 
well pleased with them. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, I like this word overthrown, not because I have any desire for it, but I just like the, the, the root word here. It means laid low. You ever hear anybody use that expression? You know, they're going to threaten somebody. They say, just tell them, I'm going to lay you low, buddy. That's what he's talking about here. They were laid low, brought down because of their disobedience. And so he tells us in verse 6, these things were our examples or our type. To the intent, we should not do what? Well, he names several things here now in this passage. Lust after evil things. That's one of those areas where we have to guard our heart. Have we exposed our hearts to the evil things of this world in any fashion, in anything? that it might be, then you've exposed yourself to a temptation that puts you in grave danger. And so we need to be careful to observe what the world's temptations are and what those things are that we desire. You know, and and let's not attach too heavy a meaning to that word lust in the sense of sexual lust because it just means your desire, your your passionate desire from your heart for anything this world has to offer. Because as a runner in the race, we are to have our eye on the prize out ahead. And the great example set for us in that is is the Lord himself. Back in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And there in Hebrews chapter 12, In verse uh, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What joy was set before the Lord? Well, it certainly couldn't have been the cross. That was not that. He wept in the garden. He pleaded with the Father that if there was any way to escape the cross, then he wanted to do it. But he said, nevertheless, not as my will, but as your will. And so he submitted himself to that cross. That wasn't the joy. Matter of fact, it tells us here in our passage, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if we follow this or or under, let me just say it this way, if we understand this passage here, Verses 1 and 2, following upon chapter 11, in which is presented to us all those saints of old who sought the heavenly country, who looked for that city whose builder and maker is God. It wasn't made by human hands. As a matter of fact, in in verse 39, the last verse of chapter 11, he says, And these all, having obtained a good report... Because of their faith, received not the promise. Well, what would that promise be? Well, then we would go back to, probably going to go back to chapters 3 and 4, the promise of the future rest. Well, what's the rest? Well, if we examine the passage in Hebrews 3 and 4, we would find that the rest was the promised land promised to Israel, who refused to enter in. 
And that land representing that kingdom in which Israel would rule and in which all of those who were obedient to the Lord would be kings and priests. But of course, we're well aware they failed in that, failed gravely and deeply. As a matter of fact, here in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, that's the subject matter here. Most, many, he says, were overthrown and they failed in this whole this whole prospect. They fell into idolatry in verse 7. Verse 8, they committed fornication, as some of them committed, it says, and fell in one day three and 20,000. Now, we said that word overthrown means to be laid low or to lay low. The word fell means to be thrown down or cast down. And you'll see that again in verse 12. Wherefore, him that taketh, uh, that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. I wish I had time to go on to trace this word stand. You see, because these very words apply to you and I at the judgment seat of Christ. That if we have run the race according to the rules... If we have sought to win the prize according to the manner in which Paul has laid out for us, then we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ rather than fall, rather than being disapproved, rather than being turned away. As a matter of fact, um, if we go back to Hebrews chapter 3, in the same passage where that the same illustration is being given to us about the wilderness generation and how they failed to enter into the promised land or the rest. He says in verse 17, But with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not that with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. And it's the same word. They fell in the wilderness. They were laid low in the wilderness. They were overthrown in the wilderness. They did not stand in faith and did not believe. verse 14 of chapter 3 in Hebrews tells us, we are made partakers, sharers with Christ. The very thing that Paul desired for the Corinthian church and himself was that they might share in these benefits of the gospel. The writer of Hebrews tells us, we are made sharers, with Christ, partakers, partners with him, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. You remember back in chapter 10, all, 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 
the beginning of their confidence, but they didn't hold it steadfast all the way to the end. And therefore, it becomes part and parcel for us to be steadfast all the way to the end. If we want to be full participants in this promise, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, another thing they were guilty of was murmuring, complaining. And concerning those who tempted Christ in verse 9, concerning those who complained in verse 10, it says they were destroyed of the destroyer. And that word destroyed means very something very similar to the idea. It gives a fuller explanation of the word fell. It means they were put to ruin. They were going to suffer grave loss. Now, Paul's warning then in verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, relates right back to chapter 9, verse 27, lest I myself should be disapproved. Take heed, Paul's saying, like I'm taking heed, I'm disciplining myself so that I might win the prize, so that I won't be rejected and be cast away. And you take heed, he says, lest any of you fall, lest any of you be rejected or cast away or disapproved. I'll tell you something, that's a pretty somber ending to a passage. Were it not for verse 13. And verse 13 ought to make you stand up and shout. I mean, it is a powerful verse. And I can't think of the number of years that I used that verse and had no clue the context of what it was talking about until I began to understand about the kingdom and the pursuit of a prize, the pursuit of a goal. Because he tells us there, just like those in the wilderness, there, were, there was no temptation for that wilderness generation that they couldn't have overcome, not a one. And he's telling us that there is no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. God puts many, many trials. There are many temptations that we face in this world, but not a one of them is one that can't be overcome. Not a one of them is one that we cannot successfully endure as we seek for the prize. As we reach out to win that which the Lord Jesus Christ has put out before us to share with him in. Of course, in other passages, he says, if we suffer with him. It's the same thing. To give in and to be overthrown is when we give in to the desires of our own heart and to put it in an easy term, it's when we want to take the easy road. It's when we want to seek the path of least resistance because following the path that Paul is laying out for us here, that the writer of the book of Hebrews laid out for us, and yea, 
All throughout the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, when he said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me, is filled with obstacles all along the way. And we must overcome every one of them if we want to be a victor, a Nike, or a Nike man. You want to be a Nike man, a Nike woman, a victor? You can do it. We can be overcomers. And he will not suffer us to be tempted above that. He won't allow it. He won't permit it. Now, what you're tempted with, I might succumb to. What I might be tempted with, you might give in to. But God is not going to put before you or me that which will, he is assured that we will fail in. We can succeed. And he says there, he will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I'm telling you, that, that is, was, when I first understood that, that was so encouraging to me, so powerful to me. Because up to that point, even after I was introduced to the kingdom truths, I really wondered if this was for me. And there was a point in which it was just a doctrine. It was a teaching that I understood, and I sought after, and I believed it. But then there was the practical application in my own life. How was I going to make this real to me? Because it just looked like under the present conditions in which I was operating, I wasn't going to make it. And then one day, studying these two passages together, 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, and Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, it, it hit me. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Of course, it didn't knock me down. as a ton of bricks that lifted me up. I mean, it bowled me over. And I realized that day that this was for me. And I realized that I did not have to be defeated in my Christian life at all. That I could be an overcomer. And you know, Paul ends chapter 4 of Hebrews 3 and 4. He ends the fourth chapter with the same kind of encouragement. When he says that we may all run to the throne of grace, and there, when we do that, he, will, he is able to help those in need. He will make provision. And so the context then of both of these passages has to do with the one who is seeking the prize, the one who desires the crown. And that the Lord has made full provision by his current high priest in the heavens for us, the Lord Jesus Christ, that if we come to that throne of grace that he will make that way of escape and he will make it so we can bear that temptation or that lustful desire, that passion we have to give in to the things of this world and to seek what God, the world is trying to pull us away to or our flesh is trying to divert us to or the devil is trying to interject into our lives 
to cause us to fail, to cause us to depart and leave any hope or idea of obtaining the crown. And so I hope that's as much of encouragement to you as it is to me. That living this life, and I want to tell you, it is a different kind of life. It is not Christianity across the board. It is the person who seeks earnestly, who is striving for the crown. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for the great hope you've given us in in Scripture that you have recorded by the words of the gospel writers, the the, uh, writers of these letters, the epistles of the New Testament, to not only give us the message concerning the gospel and to flesh it out and give us the the explanation of what this good news is all about, but that you have made provision for us, Father. You made provision through that spiritual rock, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that as your people that we might be quick and bold to run to that throne when we feel ourselves giving in, when we feel knees becoming weak and tending as, um, well, as the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, if we become weak in, in our knees and ready to fail and give in and we're no longer holy, that we would realize that you are going to come to our rescue. And I pray that you would encourage our hearts today in that very thing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.